Well, good morning. Glad you're here. My name's Steve. If you haven't had a chance to meet me, I'm part of the team here, and I have the privilege of taking the last part of the Lord's Prayer. We're working our way very slowly through the Sermon on the Mount, this very influential section of scriptures. Um, and as we're doing that, I'm going to now take the Lord's Prayer. I've got a little bit of a section at the end to finish it out, but I also want to take big picture-wise, what did Jesus in this section tell us about prayer? What can we learn? Now, if you can imagine a seventh-grade student in junior high introduced to God in the most unusual way. My first introduction to God, the God of the Scriptures, not the God that you use to curse with, that name that I was really familiar with that already. And that was very much a part of my home. But what wasn't a part of my home is what I got exposed to before and after every single athletic event I was a part of for 20 years. Before and after every single one of those athletic events, before we went out, we would all kneel as a team and we would recite this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, and it was three syllables, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then we would run out of the locker room and try to hurt people. <laughs> Last week, uh, John Orberg quoted Harvey Cox and said that the Sermon on the Mount is the most quoted, most contested, the most influential moral text in the history of mankind. And right in the middle of that text, Jesus says to us, this is how you should pray. Now think about that for a minute. The Son of God gives all of these instructions. He tells us all of these illustrations. And this, this particular situation, this is how you should pray. He assumes and knows that those of us who are spiritual, that prayer will be a regular part of our life. And those of us who are not spiritual, prayer will be an irregular part of our life when things go bad. We all pray. And this prayer right here known as the Lord's Prayer is actually quite amazing. Still in the news today, just three days ago, I saw a, a something pop up on the news feed that said that Australia, for 121 years, when their Congress gathered together, every time they would stand and recite the Lord's Prayer. They've done that for 121 years, and now they're trying to get rid of it. And so it, it remains still contested. It's now seen as a relic by some people in uh, Australia, and so they want to just get that out of the normal procedure of how they open up their congressional meetings. Here's the danger for you and I, is that it's also so familiar to us that this is probably the longest section of Scripture you can recite by memory. 
And, what, and you think, oh, well, that's a good thing. Of course it's a good thing, but it's also a dangerous thing. Because in that familiarity, we miss some of the things that are just so rich here that Jesus wants to talk to us about how we talk to him and to the Father. So let me pray for us. We're going to take a look at the section as a whole and then some particulars about the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we exalt your name. We lift it high and, and place it at the place of predominance, of first place with us. And God, we ask that you would open up our hearts and minds to you. Guard us from dismissive attitudes that, of something that's in our past. And teach us, please, that we might have more meaningful and more regular conversations with you. And do it in a way that Jesus instructed. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the part about prayer actually started earlier in verse 5. And we won't go back there, but I just want to kind of re-familiarize you with, there's a couple of things that Jesus says here in terms of make sure you don't do this, but instead do this. And then this is how you should pray, and then he gives us the Lord's Prayer. So basically what he says there is, do not pray to be seen. Do not pray to gain the attention of other people. Now, you'll say, well, who would ever do that? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever not prayed because you were afraid someone might think poorly of you the way you pray? Have you ever refrained from prayer in a situation, even in your own life, because you were like, oh my gosh, I don't want them to think that of me. I don't know how to pray. Well, that tells you that this praying to be seen is somewhere deep in you. Your, your comparison button is being pushed when you go to prayer, when that's exactly the last thing. Wow, did it just get brighter? Or did, did that just happen? Like I, was, I thought, it's happening. <laughs> Woo! Okay. What y'all thought was the glare just got greater. That's all that happened for us, just the glare. Okay. Do not pray to be seen. Do not have that motivation holding you back or motivating you to try to use some kinds of words that are not your own. It also tells us, do not babble. It's a wonderful word. It's essentially words without thought. Do not, do not pray to be seen. Do not babble or speak without thought. Just, I, I've seen this happen. I've been in meetings. I won't name who, but I, I, I've been in meetings when they start to pray and then end up praying for the meal, and we ain't eating. <laughs> right? It just, oh, they just kind of kicked it into gear. That's what, and thank you for this food. What food? Do not do those kinds of things. Instead, very simple instructions in these first four verses or so, verses five through nine. He says, pray in secret, pray short, and pray from your heart. As he gives us this general instruction before he gives us the specific example, 
He said, do things in such a way where you're not trying to gain the attention of other people. Pray in secret. Pray short. God is not impressed with the length of your prayers. And those around you are certainly not. And then pray from the heart. So many people, when I'm dialoguing with them, they're saying, I don't know how to pray. I'm not sure how to do it. Well, you're talking to me. You simply talk to the Father on his invitation. This then is how you should pray. Now think about that for just a little bit more. Jesus intends that every line of this instruction will carry the momentum after he is gone. And lo and behold, 2,000 plus years later, here we are still looking at it line by line, word for word. It's, and almost everything you need is right here. You think, well, I need, I need to know more. No, you don't. All you really need to know is really right here. It's like the book, All I Need to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. Great book from the 80s. Things like what you learned in kindergarten, like share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, and it goes on. You can turn to the Lord's Prayer and say, all that I need to know is right here for me. Now, in this prayer, it's essentially in two sections. And those sections are centered around keywords, your and us. The first part is about the Father and what we pray about Him. And then the second part is about us and the requests that we made. Our Father is how the prayer begins, and that seems so regular to us, so, so normal, that when you listen to prayers that we pray, we speak to God as Father, our personal Father, all of the time, right? This means yes, this means no, right? Do you know that the God is only referred to as Father 15 times in all of the Hebrew Scriptures? And most of those 15 times, it's father of Israel, father of the nation. And yet Jesus just blows that whole paradigm completely wide open. Ten times in this chapter, God is referred to as father. And it becomes the normal language, the normal vernacular of how we address God in heaven. He goes on to say, May your name be hallowed, set apart, sacred, revered. To remember that, that God's name, we must remember, you know, God's name is not always seen as holy. In fact, if I were to quiz some of you and just kind of, you know, lay out for you how often when you hear of God, is, has, is it used in holiness, when set apart, or is it used in cursing? You do the math. It depends on who I play with when I play golf that week, to be honest with you. And there's, it's always such, the, the most uncomfortable moment whenever I play golf is when they find out I'm a pastor. It's super uncomfortable. 
The longer it's gone, the deeper we are in the round, the more uncomfortable it is. And I know your world. That is your world. And this prayer says, no, 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 no. God's name is to be sacred, is to be revered. Instead of dragged through the sewer in the casualness of our languages today. Your kingdom come. The word kingdom is a big deal in Matthew over 50 times. And this is where God reigns. And we're told to seek this kingdom first. And this is a complete reorientation of what's going on. God, your kingdom first. It's not my will, but yours. And your will to be done. My desires, my thoughts to be carried out right here on this planet. Now, we usually don't think of it that way. If we're honest, we usually think of earth and heaven as two separate spheres. And essentially, all that's good is in heaven, and that's where God is, and we're kind of down here on earth. And what God did was he left heaven, came to earth, so that he could take us to heaven. Right? No. He came to earth to bring heaven to earth. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> and what we're trying to do is see those spheres more and more overlap to where he wants to redeem all that is going on here, and he's placed it into our hands. And he wants his will done here. Now, that's not to say that Jesus didn't die so that we can go to heaven. I don't hear what I'm not saying. But his plan right now is not just fire insurance until you die, and then you really get the good stuff in the other place. His plan, whether you think it's a good one or not, is to entrust the keys of the kingdom into your hands and to be expressions of love and compassion and kindness to people all around as those two circles more and more overlap. And this is such an important orientation about how we view the world that he says we ought to pray it all the time. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Then the prayer shifts. And it shifts to, depending on how you count it, four or three, us. And it's us, not me. It's, this is, this is um, I've preached on the Lord's Prayer before. I've obviously said it at least before any athletic event. I am struck. I am I am surprised by this. If this is then how we should pray, that's, those are the words of Jesus, how much of my prayers are give me? And it's us, not me. Now, that's not to say you can't also pray for you. But there's this, this communal aspect of being part of the kingdom of God that's a community that you belong to. 
And it's amazing how many of the selfish prayers that are really centered all around me will go away if I simply just make them plural. God, give us that house. God, that's a sweet car. Give us one. It's amazing how very quickly just thinking about things in community takes some of the selfishness out of my own language. Give us, Jay walked us through, give us today our our daily bread. Forgive us, John walked us through that last week. I want to talk to you a little bit about lead us not, but deliver us. Now, we got to slow down a little bit and spend some time here because lead us not into temptation sounds like God could lead us to temptation. And yet scriptures are consistently uh, teaching us that God does not tempt us. So then what does this mean? If God does not tempt, and since he does not, but God does allow evil to happen because we see it happening, our best understand for this plea is that we would be delivered from or saved from bad and evil times. One, bless you, one um, commentator, um, a guy named Tom Constable, he said that, therefore, this petition is a request that he minimize the occasions of our testing that may result in our sinning. That God, would you lead us not into those things that would tempt us. And in fact, this word for tempting here really is better probably understood as testing. It's a very rare word in the New Testament, only used a few times. Jesus uses the same exact word in Matthew 26, about 20 chapters later, when he says, watch and pray to his disciples in the garden before he's arrested. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so this prayer, I think, is this plea that since my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak, would you minimize the opportunities for evil to happen in my life? Would you slow them down? Would you deliver me from them? The word deliver is also a very pretty rare New Testament word, it's riome, and it means to drag or to draw along the ground. It's spare us, preserve us against, um, and it has more the meaning not of rescuing you out, but drawing you to something, which is very important and very encouraging for me. God, deliver me from evil and draw me to you. Draw me into you. Now this word though, oh, I was gonna say, do you remember, um, I remember when our grandkids were very, very small, they had these very cool life jackets on that um, had a little headpiece behind that kept their heads from going underwater and the headpiece had a little um, handle on it. See, y'all are looking at me like, I've never seen that. Well, when our kids were little, we just kind of put floaties on their arms and let them do the best they could, but, and which wasn't a good idea, but Our grandkids had these things, and they were the easiest things to be able to get out of. If they were floundering or they wanted out, you just reached down and grabbed that handle and whoop, and you rescued them out. It was with no effort at all. 
This word in, um, when they took the Hebrew scriptures and translated them into Greek, this word for rescue um, or deliver is used a bunch in the Hebrew scriptures, 185 times, 10 times more. We see it all over the Psalms, Psalm 6-4, turn, Lord, and deliver me, save me. That word is there is deliver. Save me because of your unfailing love, Psalm 69-14. Rescue me from the mire, do not let me sink down. Or 107, Psalm 107-6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It saved me, deliver me, rescue me out. Dana and I were, were on a floating trip in Texas. There's a river down by Austin, and you would just float it. You'd get an inner tube. You'd just sit on it and float it. You know what that is. Hope you've done it. Um, there's ice cold water in California, most of the rivers. But anyway, we're standing there, and there's a little, little waterfall-like drop-off, and a guy had gone off his tube had gone and turned backwards and then he went off of it and he didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. But once he went off, it got caught in the backdraft and you could just watch his inner tube flip over and over again. And at about the same pace, you could watch him just flipping over and over again. And I, and I thought someone should help him. And I watched him do this for several times and then finally I went out and and thought, okay, I'll help him. I walk to him. I grab his shoulders when he comes up. Grab his shoulders, right him up, and he stands up. And the water's about this deep. <laughs> he almost drowned right there. He had too much to drink, and he had lost his way. And I thought, that was so easy. That dude could have died, and it was just easy for me to do that. And that is what I think of all the time when I pray this prayer. God, rescue me. Deliver me. I've lost my way. I'm caught in circles of going around and around. And it is not difficult for the Father of heaven to simply reach down and grab you by the shoulders and put your feet on solid ground. And he longs to rescue you. One of the ugliest things you'll see in the New Testament is this word for rescue is actually thrown into Jesus' face. When, Je when Jesus is on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, the religious leaders look up and they say, He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And that word for rescue is the same one that we use here. And the truth is, is that that's exactly what Jesus set about doing. He has established all that is needed that you and I might be rescued on a regular basis. This prayer is, I think, intended to be a regular part of our lives if we follow after Christ. And you already, most of you already know it. You simply neglect it. And it reminds us that there's a Father in heaven who loves us and that we, our orientation in this planet is not around us, but around him and his kingdom and his will. And that the needs that we have on a regular basis of give us, 
and, and forgive us and, and rescue us. Those kinds of things, those are things he expects to hear from his kids. Because really, God has already rescued you through the work of Christ. And he wants to avail. It's as simple for him as just putting your feet to the ground. Romans chapter 5, it says, God demonstrated this love while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies, while you were having your worst day, Christ died for you. And this love that's extended is absolutely unconditional and cannot be taken away from you. Again, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, what should we say about all these things that God has done for us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that was raised from the li from, to, to life and is at the right hand of God the Father. This prayer is already established in our psyche and we avail ourselves to the work of Christ on our behalf. That has been given for you freely. You, you do not approach a God who is reluctantly holding things back from you but a God who has done all that is needed on our behalf. Now, it says to deliver us from evil, if you're in the King James Version, and then you've got this wonderful benediction at the end, for thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. And it's not in some of your versions, and you're like, what's up with that? Well, first, let me talk about the evil or the evil one, because there's some dispute about whether it's evil or evil one and we're going to take that phrase and have a brand new series start next week called the unseen and we'll talk about the spiritual realms of angels and demons and what all is going on with there and who is satan and those kinds of things so we'll talk about that we think it's so important that we just go ahead and just break a little bit from our rhythm and spend four weeks i think on this spiritual realm. The benediction is a wonderful benediction, and some of you can't even say this prayer out of memory without including, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And of course, that's what we said, and we got louder when we said that part before every athletic event as if we meant it really more. It's not in some of the translations because some of the earlier manuscripts, as they've been discovered, um, do not include that. It's a perfectly great ending for a great prayer. And if you want to keep it, you certainly can. Some publishers have chosen not to include it. It's not, don't worry, it's just that the, as you translate the scriptures, and they worked on King Jimmy years and years ago, they had some of these manuscripts, and since that time, they have found earlier, dated earlier manuscripts that do not include it which makes the conclusion say it might not have been in the original Matthew text. So it's not included, but 
The truth is, I always say it. Um, it's the only time I revert back to King James, I guess. So you can do either of that. This rescue, though, from evil, it's not hard to see that evil is a part of our world. I know it's not politically correct and that we're all, if we were given enough time, education, and resources, we'd be great people. But the truth of the matter is I don't buy into that. I mean, there, I just met a brand new little girl, three weeks old, right over here. And um, I don't want to tell her parents this, but she's going to be a rascal. <laughs> and they don't have to teach her how to do it. There's a part of us that is broken. And when that brokenness accumulates around enough lives, it expresses itself in unbelievable evil. And that's why we have 24-7 newscasts. Because there is evil everywhere. And I, think, I thought it would be a, the best way to finish this would be just to ask you, is there evil in your life? If it's something that has to do with your own personal lifestyle, then would you confess that to God who knows it already and embrace the grace of God through Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin? If you're here and you're a follower, that doesn't exempt you from the influences of evil around this world and around our own lives. And so would there be areas in your life where you might say, man, I relationally, there's just such discord in my life that it's not an exaggeration to call it evil in the relationships I have. The words do nothing but rip other people down. Emotionally, are you stuck in patterns that you can't seem to be free of? And evil is expressing itself in ways that are robbing you of your life and joy. Vocationally, I mean, country music is famous for evil bosses and what they ought to do with the job. How about you? Is your vocational experience characterized by evil? Is there even expressions of physical ailment and illness that you would characterize by evil? I want to just take a moment and take the opportunity to lay these requests before the Father. And I want to do it just topically. I, I don't know a better way to do it. I mean, I guess we could free-for-all it, but let, let's do it topically. And so um, we're going to lower back down the house lights so that nobody's embarrassed. And then I'm going to pray for some of these topics. And as I pray, if, it, if you feel comfortable, you, may, you could just raise your hand to receive it or put it out in front of you. Or if you're super bold and, and you're super desperate, you might just stand and say, I mean, I identify with that area of my life. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, first, thank you that we address you as Abba, Father, and that our spirit is not of one of fear, but of confidence with you because of the work of Christ. And thank you that um, there's nothing that can separate us from the love that you have for us. 
Forgive us for our casualness with this great prayer, Jesus, that you have left us. And maybe some of us, me included, I want my life to be more marked with the habitual um, working out of this prayer on a regular basis in me. And God, there are expressions of evil among us. And we ask generally that you would deliver us from it. That you would rescue us. That you would pull us out of the current that we're currently in and that you would set us upon firm ground. And in the safety of your children and your people, God, there are some of us who just have so much strife in the relationships that we're part of that we can't help but characterize it as evil. And God, we ask that you would move against the lies and the name-calling and the disharmony and the selfishness that exists, that you would bring a restoration among our relationships, that that might please you. And God, we know that there are some here who they have just caught themselves in a pattern of understanding and looking at themselves in the world that has quite honestly had such destructive uh, results in them that we can't help but call it evil. We ask God that you would move against it, that you would in each mind that that is captive to these thoughts that are destructive and evil, that each of those minds you would restore, that you would renew them, that you would replace the, the lies that they embrace and instead place the truth of who you are and how much you love them. And then give them very specific strategies where they might avail themselves to the kind of counsel and the kind of help that is needed, that they would not isolate and try to go alone. And they would see that as, in fact, a lie. And God, there are some of us who are in work situations that can't help but be characterized by evil. There are such destructive patterns in the hours that are spent between Monday and Saturday or Friday that it just rips the heart out of some folks. And there doesn't seem to be any end. And so, God, in the name of Christ, we come against that evil in the workplace. And we ask that you would rescue them from it. That you would, when it's needed, you would change bosses. And when um, when it's also needed, you would change us. That we might see more grace and peace and kindness in the workplace. And then, Father, we know and understand that the, you did not create this world to be this way, but the generational sins and the fallout of the evil over generations has created great um, malady in our own physical bodies. And there are some here who you can only characterize their illnesses as evil. And the discouragement and the the way that it just tears them down. Father, we ask 
In Jesus' name we ask that you would deliver and rescue from that. That you would move in such a way that wellness will be restored. And it would be done also in a way where you are acknowledged as the giver of all good things. Jesus, you understood our reluctance to come to the Father. You understood how life would squeeze out the sincerity of our hearts. And so you left us such good and clear instruction. May the principles and the words of your prayer flow so consistently and gently into your children that we become people of this prayer. And your will is accomplished on earth just as fully and as quickly as if it were in heaven. In Jesus' name.